0: Well good morning. Oh, what a wonderful weekend so far. The weather's been great. So we're gonna read from uh, Joshua nines. The title's a little uh off on that. It is it is the end of Joshua one nine, but uh it is a good title to remind us for the Lord God is wherever is with you wherever you go. So as we uh go through Joshua 9 today, I want you to focus on that. Because uh, it's a great example of what God can do no matter where you are in your life. So if you're able, would you please stand with me as we read Joshua 9. As soon as all the kings who were beyond the Jordan, in the hill country, and in the lowland, land, all along the coast of the great sea, "...towards Lebanon, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, and the Hivites, and the Jebusites, heard of this. They gathered together as one to fight against Joshua and Israel. But when the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they, on their part, acted with cunning and went and made ready provisions of took worn out sacks for their donkeys and wineskins worn out and torn and mended with worn out patches, patched sandals on their feet and worn out clothes and all their provisions were dry and crumbly. And they went to Joshua at the camp of Gilgal and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a distant country, so now make a covenant with us. But the men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you live among us, then how can we make a covenant with you? They said to Joshua, We are your servants. And Joshua said to them, Who are you and where do you come from? They said to him, From a very very distant country, Your servants have come because of the name of the Lord your God. "'For we have heard a report of him, and all that he did in Egypt, "'and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites, "'who were beyond the Jordan, to Shion, king of Heshbon, "'and to Og, king of Bashan, who lived in Ashtaroth. "'So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country said to us, "'Take provisions in your hand for the journey, "'and go meet them, and say to them, "'We are your servants, come now, "...make a covenant with us. Here is our bread. It was still warm when we took it from our houses as our food for the journey on the day. we set out, On the day we set out to come to you, but now behold, it is dry and crumbly. These wineskins were new when we filled them, and behold, they have burst, and these garments and sandals of ours are worn out from the very long journey." So the men took some of their provisions, but did not ask counsel from the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live. And the leaders of the congregation swore to them. At the end of three days, after they had made a covenant with them, they heard that they were neighbors and that they lived among them. And the people of Israel set out and reached the cities on the third day. Now their cities were Gibeon, Shephira, Beroth, Kirjath-Jerim. But the people of Israel did not attack them, because the leaders of the congregation had sworn to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. Then all the congregation murmured against the leaders. But all the leaders said to all the congregation, We have swore to them by the Lord, the God of Israel, and now we may not touch them. This is what we will do to them. Let them live, lest wrath be upon us. Because of the oath we swore to them. And the leaders said to them, Let them live, so that they become cutters of wood and drawers of water for all the congregation. Just as the leaders had said of them, Joshua summoned them and said to them, Why did you deceive us, saying you were, you are very far from you, when you dwell among us? Now therefore you are cursed, and some of you shall never be anything but servants, cutters of wood and drawers of water, for the house of my God. They answered Joshua, Because it was told to your servant, for a certainty that the Lord your God had commanded his servant Moses to give you all the land and to destroy all the inhabitants of the land before you. So we feared greatly for our lives because of you and did this thing. And now behold, we are in your hand, whatever seems good and right in your sight to do to us, do it. So he did this to them and delivered them out of the hand of people of Israel. They did not kill them, but Joshua made them that day cutters of wood and drawers of water for the congregation and for the altar of the Lord. To this day in that place that he should choose. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we just thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for this word coming from your word. To coming to us, Lord, today. May, as uh, it is written in John, spoken by John, and also a favorite verse of John, may I decrease so that you may increase, Lord. May I hide behind the cross today. May whoever is out here today see you and your words, your words of life, your words of redemption, your words of truth, Lord. Help us to take Your Word and apply it to our lives each and every day. We thank You for all You are. We thank You for who You are. And we thank You for what You do in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. All right, so we're going to dive into these verses. Um, just like Dan and John do, we set the scene a little bit. So we're going to start looking back a little bit first. Under the leadership of of Moses, and before they crossed the Jordan, they defeated other kings while working their way to the Promised Land. It mentions here King Og of Bashan and King Shion of Heshbon. These battles are recorded in Deuteronomy 2, 26 through 3, Then we move to Moses and the first generation of Israelites from the Exodus passing away. Joshua takes command. They cross the Jordan. Joshua quite easily defeats Jericho. They listen to God's direction, no matter how it sounded. I'm pretty sure there was a lot of pushback on that plan. Joshua's first battle? Really? We're going to march for seven days? Well, it worked out quite well, didn't it? AI gave them a small problem but they ended up destroying that city. And by the way, just being an armchair quarterback on that one, do you think God needed Israel to lose that to make sure they stayed humbled? Or how about the king of Ai in allowing the destruction to come through his pride? But I don't know. We can ask Job. I'm pretty sure God is always in control. So a little more on that later on. So now Israel is sitting... And waiting for the next move at Gilgal. As we just read, all the kings on this side of the Jordan are combining. And they're coming together against Israel. I'm sure that's quite a force. Um, Lots of men probably outnumbered the Israelites. So I'm sure at this point Joshua is probably getting a little bit on edge. He's praying, seeking God making plans to what their next step is. I'm sure there are struggles and requirements to take care of day-to-day things, like feeding the army and the people of Israel, minor conflicts arising within the nation. You know, day-to-day trials that we go through, he is dealing with, but it's multiplied by a nation on the move. Yet at the same time, preparing for what's next. Everyone was probably extremely busy, but God has shown himself great. He made, he made Israel a promise of the land, so there's probably also some confidence in what's going on. So at this time, our re, in our reading, we see the Gibbonites are also starting to worry about Joshua and the Israelites. They saw what Joshua and the Israelites did to Jericho and Ai. Gibeon was a great city. We'll see next week when Tom gets to preach on chapter 10. In verse 2 it describes Ai as a royal city, larger than Ai. And they had a confederation of other cities. As we saw in our verse today, 17, Shephiro, Broth, Kirjeth, Jerom. So the leaders of Gibeon's in these cities got together and they decided to go to Joshua and all the leaders of Israel for a treaty. Here's where we really start to see some important details in the sermon today. The Gibeonites knew what God had told the Israelites. The Gibeonites knew God's words to drive out all the inhabitants of Canaan, it is recorded in Numbers 33, 50 through 56, but there's, it's found elsewhere in God's Word too that drive out everyone from Canaan. And when he said drive out, he wasn't mincing words. He said kill and destroy all. That was the marching order of the day. So the Gibeons and the other cities were worried. They knew if they went to Joshua and told the truth that they would be slaughtered on the spot. That is what God had commanded. And the proof was in the recent battles and reports of the outcomes. So the Gibeons went to great lengths to deceive the Israelites. They made it look as if they weren't even from Canaan. Worn out clothes and shoes, spoiled and deteriorated supplies. They lied to the Israelites about how far they traveled. But this was obviously okay, right? I mean, because otherwise they would have been killed. Here we are in the middle of the conquest of promised land. Israel is preparing for battle and in the midst of everyday life. A delegation shows up and asks for a treaty. Well, they're not even from the land God has promised. Wow, how great is this for Joshua. Now Joshua and his elders, they look at it skeptical at first. They ask some questions like, who are you? Where do you come from? But the Gibeons increase their deception. They continue with, we are from far away. And then they bring up historical events from other lands to bolster their claims. They brought up the Exodus. They brought up the battles Moses had to give the impression they're from outside Canaan. So now the the Israelites make make some obvious mistakes, first of all. Some are blatant. Some are a bit underlying. But right in God's Word seems to be the most obvious. In verse 14, they did not consult God. Why would we? This is an easy decision, right? Why should we bother God with this decision? We got this. They're not from here, obviously. They want peace. That means no battle or bloodshed. They want a treaty. We're already fighting people from Canaan. Why do we want to battle some outsiders? Or just maybe we can get some help from them later. Their second mistake, which should have been a little more obvious, especially to the leaders, was, well, before I get into that, let's look back at chapter 8, something Dan had pointed out last week. What did Joshua do after the defeat of ai and the whole nation of israel was present for this current and this would make this current and fresh on their minds as this delegation came forward so each and every citizen knew god's word and it also re-ingrained that into the leader's So let's go and look at Joshua 8, 34 and 35. Afterwards, Joshua read aloud all the words written in the book of the law, the blessings as well as the curses, according to all that is written in the book of the law. There was not a word of all that Moses had commanded that Joshua did not read before the entire assembly of Israel, including the women, the little ones, the, uh, and the sojourners that lived among them. Does anybody think that's a little odd? Reading all the laws and the words of Moses after a great victory? Do you think that was God-led? I do. Why? And it's just because of this meeting right here the with the Gibeons. No one in all of Israel could deny that they knew better. you got to think, when that delegation came forward to meet with the Israelites, that there were women milling around taking care of business the sojourners are just other people from other countries even heard god's word and somebody someone somehow could have just raised up and said hey didn't you just read don't do this so they all knew better god's word was clear and fresh in their minds God told the Israelites in Deuteronomy 20, 10 through 18, to not make a treaty with the Canaanites, among others, and he said why. So first of all, Deuteronomy 20, 10 through 15 says, when you march up upon a city to attack it, make its people an offering of peace if they accept and open their gates, all the people in it shall be subject to forced labor and work for you. If they refuse to make peace, then engage them in battle. Lay siege to the city, when, and when the Lord your God delivers it into your hand, put a sword to all the men. As for the women, children, livestock, and everything in the city, you may take these as plunder for yourselves. And you, this is how you are to treat all the cities that are at distant from you. And do not belong to the nations nearby. So here's where the words get important. Deuteronomy 20, 16. However, in the cities of the nations of the Lord your God is giving you an inheritance, do not leave anything that breathes alive. Completely destroy them as we continue. Deuteronomy 17 and 8, 20, 17, and 18 completely destroy them, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Parasites, per- Hivites, and Jebusites, as the Lord God has commanded you. Otherwise, and here's the reason why God wants that to happen, they will teach you to follow the detestable things that they do in worshiping their gods, and you will sin against the Lord your God. God is pretty specific with these words, hard to uh, mince that, so some of the not-so-obvious details that maybe should have led Joshua to be a little more cautious. These leaders of an, are from a nation meeting with the leaders of another nation. If an emissary was coming to meet an important delegation, they would have prepared for such. A change of clothes, maybe something more official. Stored up goods to offer. Maybe being better prepared for the long journey as they were probably important people from this land far away. So maybe there should have been some a little bit more curiosity on who they are and where they come from. Something should have sparked their concern with this delegation. So here we are. The men of Israel took the offering, at least the good stuff, Joshua and the leaders made a treaty or covenant with the foreigners from a distant land. And now word comes to Joshua that the foreigners are actually neighbors. What? Joshua now goes to verify and confront them and their lies. Three days on the road, so imagine this. They're coming up and they see a great city in the far distance, a royal city. The cost was great as they start to see what they made a treaty with. They did not obey God's word, so they can't destroy them. All those riches and supplies that could not now support the war effort, all your troops who were expecting the things to help them and their families could now not be touched. The followers were extremely upset with the leaders. Our leaders failed us, they they were probably mumbling. So now the leaders not only had to worry about what's next, but they had to fix relations with all of Israel and spend efforts. And they had to remind them of the treaty that they had made. So the leaders asked them, Why did you deceive us? Of course, the Gibeans answered, Yeah, we don't want to die. It's really that simple. We saw in God's Word. We trusted your God in His Word and we don't want to die. So at first, the el- the elders, I would presume, are just looking at treaties and going, hmm, what do we do now? These are the people God's Word tells us to destroy. But yet, our Word has turned around and made a treaty with them. We did not listen to God, but now we have another dilemma that we promised them safety. God said, kill and destroy. We said, you have safe rule in our country. And the Israelites took treaties and covenants seriously. So what should they do? Well, Joshua already broke the rule, kill and destroy, um, by making that treaty. So now, by not honoring the treaty, Joshua would be just breaking another rule. So Joshua and the leaders stick by their word. And their word is important in that day because they live by their word. There's nothing else but the nations all live by their word. And they reminded everybody that they did make a treaty. So all agreed to let them live. But because of their deception, they decided to make them workers for the temple. Slaves, if you will. So that's the history lesson. That's how everything worked out for Joshua and them. God puts everything in His Word for a reason. How's the saying go? If we don't learn from history, we are doomed to repeat it. So let's look and see how we can apply this to us today. Joshua is coming off another great success. And he had plans for the future with God's promises and blessings. But then opposition comes. First of all, direct opposition. Kings were ganging up against them. We may feel this at time. Things are going great. But then at work, a new deadline comes up right in the middle of your busy day. The carb maybe breaks down. How about a water heater at a relative's house breaks? Maybe someone gets sick or hospitalized and or the finances are straining to no end right now. So how about those five kings in your life? All right, we're cool with this. We're strong Christians. We see all this coming. Just maybe you might have feel prepared about some of this. You know you're growing in God, you pray, you seek God, and you see what God is teaching us and are willing and ready to learn and move forward through it. But then the indirect opposition comes. We may not see this at all. Or maybe we're so focused on the main event that we make a bad decision with what seems to be a small issue. We start getting frustrated, and we make more decisions on our own. So we move forward and did not consult God. In the middle of our mess, we get told we're being deceived. Maybe God is calling out, and we finally hear Him. Maybe accountability partner says something like, Have you prayed about it? Which wakes you up to the reality you just compromised God. And maybe even gone against His word and didn't even know it. We must be careful. Joshua may have been tempted to all of a sudden listen to some of God's words and kill and destroy the Gibeonites. But he knew that breaking the covenant would do nothing but break another rule. This is a great choice he made. And it shows that two wrongs don't make a right. So do not compound your mistakes. Charles Spurgeon, and I did put this in specifically for John, (laughs) put it this way, discernment is not simply a matter of telling between right and wrong. Rather, it's the difference between right and almost right. Let that sink in for a moment. With the examples above, we may feel ashamed or guilt and decide maybe I won't go to church this week and enjoy the fellowship and accountability I should have for my mistake. You know, I can justify that by saying God set this day aside for rest and I think I need to rest today. Or how about I need to take care of my household first and I'm finding things that are in disarray. So, at this time, I'm disregarding do not forsake the assembly of others and confess to one another. Plus, that alone time only serves to let you drown in your own guilt and shame instead of truly seeking forgiveness. So, how do we recognize the subtle traps? How do we keep our guard up as Christians? Well, do you love God? We really need to start there. As Joshua was told in the beginning, we are told the same thing in Psalm 1 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. In our study, in our James study with Matt Chandler, he put it this way God is not a taker, he is a giver. Psalm 16.11 make, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God gives us rules not to take away our freedom, but to give us life more abundant. John 10.10 The thief comes only to steal and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He, God, created everything. I'm sure He knows how everything works. Why would we not want to follow the directions on how it all works? Also, invite Him into your life. He already has your heart. God wants you all in. God wants to help and guide you each and every moment of the day. He wants to be with you when things are great. He wants to be with you in your mess. Doing your hobbies, doing work, doing your best, or doing your worst. Do you live life with Him? Do you pray continually? First Thessalonians 5.17 is simple, easy verse to memorize. Pray without ceasing. If we are praying without ceasing, even while driving changing the baby, washing dishes, or running a lawnmower. We can be open to the leading of the Spirit. When He urges us to pray for something or someone, when He wants to change your direction, when He wants to warn you of a pitfall, at that time we can agree. We can agree with God and make that necessary change. We could also make a mental note. Or add that concern to a prayer list. But we can make a change. We can live life. By praying continually, we're not just talking about getting on our knees and praying. We're talking about diving in, just spending time talking with God in every moment of your day. We need to guard our hearts against pride and self sufficiency. As you invite God into more and more of your day-to-day, you will grow closer and closer and deeper and deeper than you can imagine. You can and will have joy no matter what the scenario is or your current season. Joshua showed us we need to be wary. And even great men of God make mistakes. Jesus stands in the gap and took the punishment for our sin and our mistakes. But well, what if you're not a Christian? How does this account in Joshua 9 work for me? The Gibeons, who are not followers of God, first recognized the power of God. These Israelites took down some of the mightiest rulers in the area. They didn't just win, but they won miraculously and decisively. God is working all around us, all the time. He shows victories in healing by guiding some doctors and nurses, some miraculously through nothing more than a faith that He can. Childbirth is a miracle happening every day. Our next breath is a blessing. The sun warms us but doesn't devour us. His creation is amazing. And we still know less about this creation than what there is to know all about it. Do you recognize God's power around you? Do you see what God is doing as we march towards the promised land? The Gibeons wanted to live. They believed God. They knew His word. That all in the land of Canaan were going to die. God's grace is shown to the Gibeons in this story. Sure, there was deception on their part. They didn't know or understand God. Remember in the beginning of the sermon, I said, God is always in control. God wanted to have the Israelites destroy everything in Canaan. God wanted... God could have revealed that deception sooner. Everybody knew about it. Although there was nothing in Scripture or evidence of God's redemption of the Gibeons, we do see for a time that the Gibeons showed respect and fear for God. And for that, God allowed the treaty to be made so that this people would not perish. Jesus is showing great and powerful things around us each and every day. He wants you to acknowledge and seek His forgiving grace. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, so death spread to all men, because all have sinned. For if because one man's trespass death reigned through that one man much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in the life through one man Jesus Christ and as we move on to Romans 10:9 because if you confess with your mouth that the that Jesus is Lord and believe with all your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Death is the righteous judgment from God as He cannot look upon sin. But if we come to Jesus, everlasting life is ours because He already paid the price and defeated death. So no matter whether you're a Christian or not, Whether you're a believer or not, whether you're on fire for our Lord, or in a time of doubt, this story has something for you. Fear of God, you may not know. Trust in Jesus that I can make a mistake and it will come out right. Maybe comfort in knowing that God wants to spend time with you and that has spent time with us here on earth. He knows your every struggle, every joy. He knows your disappointments and your success. The only way He'll be part of that with you is if you invite Him in. This altar is always open. For the Christian, repentance, rededication of your life. Or maybe it's finally time to go a little deeper. For those out there who do not know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that you do not know where you're going to spend eternity, talk to a member here at East Shore Baptist Church. Talk to an elder, maybe a deacon, or maybe a leader here. But most important of all, talk to God. Seek His guidance, and He will lead you. The altar is open to accept Him as you are and where you are in your life. You don't need to fix anything to come to Him. Just as you are, invite Him into a true relationship with you. Christian or non-Christian, invite Him into your daily life. He will guide you and direct you so that you may have life abundant and for eternity. For the Lord your God is Is with you wherever you go. Let's have a moment of silent meditation as the worship team comes forward. The altar is open. Make your requests known to God.